Welcome to One Man's Opinion, brought to you by the Elite Fantasy, Fantasy Guru, and EliteSportsBetting.com. And now, here's your host, Jeff Manns. All right, welcome in, everybody. It is indeed episode 117 of the podcast that's sweeping the nation. It's One Man's Opinion. I'm your boy, Jeff Manns. If you're just tuning in for the first time, well, thank you for stumbling upon us. You can hear me every weekday afternoon hosting Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio's Elite Sports Program, 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern, Sirius XM Channel 86. I'm also owner and operator and chief content officer over at fantasyguru.com, seasonal fantasy sports, daily fantasy sports, sports betting, analytics, everything in the world you need to crush leagues, bets, DFS. We've got it all. Fantasyguru.com 2022 Fantasy Football Draft Guide is available now. Full in-season product. We are with you all the way through. We've got our elite data. We've got our elite podcast network and live stream network. And we've got all the great articles and rankings and projections. And a fantasy football training camp August 19th exclusively there at fantasyguru.com. It's a 24-hour day-long event, which you can go back and watch anytime. You don't have to be there the whole time. Full of fantasy football goodness. We teach you everything you need to know from draft strategies, tips, tricks, daily fantasy, betting fantasy, how to identify schemes and offenses and coaches and player evaluations and roster management and all that great stuff. And you get to play poker with us. And you get an entry to the Elite Mafia Fantasy Football Championship hosted by RT Sports. Very excited to have RT Sports on board with that and uh, crown a, a true champion from our subscribers. It's all part of the all-in package at fantasyguru.com. You can also find me on social media at Jeff underscore Mans on Twitter. The Jeff Mans, all one word. If you want to find me on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and my favorite on TikTok, brand new TikTok show, player profiles uh, every day posted a new player profile on my TikTok account, the Jeff Manson. It's not like most of the player profiles you'll see every, I promise you every player profile is going to be a minute to two minutes long. It'll be a little bit of the things, you know, a little bit of my personal spin and insight and analysis. And then I guarantee every single video We'll have at least something, if not multiple things you didn't know about every single player from their background to their history to certain metrics and skills and evaluations that uh, doesn't get talked about either. It's all there on my TikTok, the Jeff Bands. Check it out over there. All right, folks, as you can tell from the title, this is a special episode. It's an exciting episode. It's probably my favorite episode to do every single season, and this is season three of the podcast. And today... It's the official unveiling of the Jeff Mann's team of the year, the rebound team, the overlooked team, the team that is not being paid attention to, that nobody's really talking about. Uh, two years ago, did this very episode, and it was buying the Browns. Well, I think you know how that turned out. They went on to an 11-5 and five season two years ago. So, uh, you know, that was, by the way, you think that was something they were coming off a six and 10 record. They went 11 and five, made it into the championship game. 
or a divisional round game against the Chiefs in that year. Uh, and then last, so that was buying the Browns last year. We were chasing the Chargers and, you know, nine and eight season. It was an upgrade. It was better than they had done the previous year, a couple of years under Anthony Lynn. The Chargers didn't make the playoffs. They had their destiny in their hand, but lost to the Raiders in that final game. The offense and everything we talked about, I think, was right on the money, came to fruition. The defense did let us down. No question about that. But I still think that was a pretty good win. And for those who invested in Austin Eckler and Mike Williams and Keaton Allen, Justin Herbert, the guys that we told you about, I think you profited on that as well. So the number one question I've been asked most of 2022 already Hell, man, I was listening. I've been hearing this question since last year's Chase the Chargers episode. Man, what team are you in on for 2022? And obviously, we do this around this time of year every every year because we need things to play out. We need the coaching to settle. We need the, the roster to settle. We need the NFL draft. We need free agency. We need to see the schedule. We need to, all these things have to go in if – your analysis, if whoever you're following for your analysis, if they aren't waiting, if they, you think they could project something in March or April before the draft and free agency, you, you know you've got yourself somebody who just guesses for a living. And congratulations, I don't like to guess. I like to go in from a position of power, and at the very least, I'm, I'm definitely wrong on things i'll be wrong on probably some of the things I, I say today however i will always have the proof to back it up i will always have the reasons i will always have the why and well thought out and pl planned and projected outward okay and i think that's why from an nfl betting standpoint from a seasonal fantasy standpoint from a daily fantasy football standpoint i have been a winner every single year in the last 12, 15 years, right? And documented on all of it. Been in the industry, has rose to the top of it, not because I half-ass it, not because I just get a, an idea and just run with that idea or do something on a whim. It's because we research it all to the bone. So the question that's been asked to me all year long, man, is what team? Who are we drafting? Who are we backing? Who are we buying in 2022? My friends, my allies, amigos, enemies, one and all, I tell you in 2022, ladies and gentlemen, we are digging the Dolphins, baby. The Miami Dolphins, I cannot tell you the last time I have been excited about a Miami Dolphins team. I don't think I have ever been excited about a Miami Dolphins team. Truth be told, the last time I had any kind of excitement, any kind of interest whatsoever surrounding this team was 05, 06, when Nick Saban came to town. I can't, and this is before Nick Saban was with Alabama. I just knew he was a Belichick disciple and, you know, guy – Going in the AFC East, somebody, okay, he knows how to build a football team. He's been at LSU and won a national championship. So kind of was digging Nick Saban and what they were going to do there. It didn't really work out that well. Saban had, uh, what did he last two years? One winning year, one down year. So it didn't really work out. 
but uh, that's the last time. This is a team that I haven't given a shit about. By the way, this is uncensored. Everybody put the earbuds in, leave the kitties, uh, make sure they have their earmuffs on or, um, you know, are out of the car or wherever you are listening to this indeed, because I'm going to curse plenty. But they've been shitty. Uh, the Dolphins have not been a good team for years and years and years. And uh, but there's a lot of reasons for optimism here in 2022. So let's dive into it. Cause I've got a lot to say about this team. And if you've listened to the buy the Browns and chase the chargers episodes over uh, the last couple of years, you know, that this, I do not believe that organizations just, it's not all just luck. All right. Sometimes they stumble upon it, which I guess is luck, but it's, it's not just random. I guess what I'm saying is it's not random. Right. It is from the top down you, to win professional sports. You need everything. Can you win with shitty ownership or a bad GM or player personnel department? Sure. There's many instances of that. You got great players and things like that, but I believe everything starts at the very top and you know, the amount of impact ownership and vice presidents and scouting departments and all that shit you know, the amount that that matters is not everything, but as I have told you in our best ball guide over at fantasyguru.com, our guy, Tyler Beaker, Russell Clay, Armando Marsal and myself, we, we talk about win percentages and uh, Tyler's got an amazing article breaking it down. It, what you can do is if, if you are in, you've heard me say this before, if you are in, let's say an 18 round draft, Every pick you make is five and a half percent of your championship. So I'm trying to be nice. Dumb people. I I am sorry. I have to say it. Naive people. Let's call them losers. They think, oh, big deal. Five and a half percent, five and a half percent, five and a half percent. They don't care about throwing five and a half percent out the door. They're the ones drafting Gronkowski or Barry Sanders or Ryan Fitzpatrick. They're going to come back. Those are those people. Winners, champions, smart people say, yeah, five and a half. I gained 5%. I'm not going to throw any picks away. There's a commodity there. There's, there's a value to every pick that you make. Organizations and football teams are very similar. We know 53-man rosters. We know you have massive coaching departments along the sidelines. Look at a sideline on Sunday afternoon. Look at all those people. Then imagine front offices and scouting departments. Organizations are important to winning. Now, every sit you could have, you could like, you could win a fantasy championship by missing on your first pick or second pick. The most important positions I say are valuable. Just like you can make a Super Bowl, go to a Super Bowl with not having the best quarterback. But it's all relative. What we're looking for is the sum of the parts. That's what this episode's all about. That's what my team episodes are all about. That's why I'm digging the Dolphins. Let's start out at the top. Um, Ownership. All right. Now, some of you out there are probably saying, man, what a fraud you are. How can you back this organization? This organization just fucked over Brian Flores in a major major weight, Stephen Ross 
and uh, Chris Greer, these guys just completely screwed Brian Flores and there's a lawsuit against them and the national football league. I don't disagree with you. It's actually when it came down to it, there were two teams that were on my radar dolphins. And I'm not going to say what the other team is. I'm not going to say it. You could tell by the rankings and everything at fantasy guru, but um, this organization was just better overall, but it's not, I do not like what happened to Brian Flores. Let me be public up and very forward with that. I think it was an incredibly shitty thing to do firing Brian Flores, incredibly shitty and a wrong thing to do. Flores went into uh, for one, let, let's just take it back a step. He was hired from the New England Patriots organization. He was a lower level assistant first year kind of fledging around five and 11 turned it around in a major way. In uh, in 2020, had a winning record. That's just a winning record. Fucking 10 and 6. All right, it's not like 8 and 8 and it wasn't even 9 and 7. 10 and 6 record. Only reason is the AFC was so freaking tough and the Colts, Ravens, and Browns all got in ahead of them. 10 wins last year would have got them in. But didn't make the playoffs in 2020. Okay, whatever. But then last year... Um, we knew the Dolphins. People were high on the Dolphins going into last year. Understandably why. I mean, in 2020, this was a team that scored 15th most points, but allowed the sixth fewest points. This was one of the top teams against the pass. And that secondary was absolute lockdown in 2020. So the, the hopes were go- going into all this was that they were going to be able to take a next step forward in 2021. And, you know, they let Ryan Fitzpatrick go. It was Tua Tagliavoa's time to shine. He was the fifth overall pick in the 2020 draft. So you get that second-year quarterback. The expectations were high, and the Dolphins did not meet those expectations. They finished 9-8 and eight last year. But I, I think when you look at it on the surface, that's the problem. That's the problem with some of the, of the analysis out there. This team won its first game against the Patriots. A big win, first week of the season in New England, by the way. It was no small feat. Then they get absolutely waxed by the Buffalo Bills last year. And then they lose an oh God, the game to the Raiders, probably ended their season and Brian Flores' time in Miami. An overtime loss in which they held a fourth quarter lead. Lose to the Raiders in Las Vegas. That was a big one. But that kind of they went on a slide it was a tough schedule they lost the Colts they lost to the Buccaneers I don't know how but the next two games they lost the Jaguars and Falcons three points and two points in those games held leads in both of them couldn't hold on those were just beyond detrimental right then you lose another one of the Buffalo Bills so they're sitting at one and seven and really Brian Flores if you're going to fire Brian Flores fire him at that time it's over but then something happened beat the Texans, beat the Ravens, beat the Jets, the Panthers, the Giants, the Jets again, the Saints. Not all bad wins. Lose to the Titans, which ended their season, and then they beat the Patriots. They swept the New England Patriots last year. They finished 9-8. and But you saw through that win streak to go down. There are not many teams in NFL history. They were the first team since 1980 that have had both six-game losing streets um seven i'm sorry seven game losing streak 
and a six game winning streak or seven game winning streak uh, in one season. First time in NFL history it's ever been done. You never see teams bounce back like that. And that that's why Flores should have kept his job. Okay. The talent on this roster last year was there. This is a good defense. It was a good defense. We'll look at it for 2021, of course, right? Of course, we're going to look at it. But this was a good team. The quarterback play wasn't there. Hmm. The offense wasn't there. Ugh. Definitely not. They slid, regressed. 22nd in points, 25th in total yards. Eek. Not so good. Third worst, third fewest, I should say, in rushing yards. Second worst rushing yards per attempt. Just 3.5 rushing yards per attempt. Terrible. Can't do that. Can't have that. Right? Not, not, in, not in that with a defensive-minded team. Can't do that. So, he, he lets Brian, they let Brian Flores go. All right. Well, the lawsuit, I think, is right. I think there's something to – I don't know if it's because he was black, minority. I don't know that. It felt like it for sure when it happened. I don't like – whether it's a minority or not, I don't like the idea. And my, one of my favorite team in baseball is the Chicago White Sox. And uh, uh, Rick Renteria, their old manager, I don't, he was hired to be fired. The Cubs did it to Renteria before that. I don't like this idea that you, you bring in a coach or manager and you let them develop these players and then you shit can them for a more popular name. I think that's bullshit. I don't like it. I think when you prove yourself, you prove yourself. If you are a winning coach, you deserve to stay. If you're building towards something and everybody in the room and the world could see it, you deserve to keep your job. Okay. Now, maybe there's other things. Maybe Flores' farts stunk or maybe he was an asshole. I don't know. He seems like a pretty sharp edged guy. So I could see how maybe he rubbed feathers wrong, but they'll work all that out. All we can do as analysts and fans and fantasy owners and sports betters is move on, say, all right, Dolphins. What's your fucking plan? And their plan was really good. Let's start at the top. I'll give Chris Greer, the general manager of the, uh, of the Miami Dolphins. Um, let's just say, you know, he has been up and down. He is, um, had good, some good moves, some bad news. But number one, he is a minority himself. All right. Number one, he has been the director of college scouting for a long, long time. He's been within the Dolphins organization for a long time. Also worked for the Patriots for a number of years as well. He's built. He has worked his way up. He's made some good moves. Okay. So right off the bat. All right. Chris Greer, minority general manager, you know, maybe, maybe not. You know, maybe that's not why Flores was fired. Still could be. Doesn't mean anything. But I hate people that say, oh, I have a minority friend. I can't be racist. Bullshit. Bull fucking shit. But again, not trying to get go down those roads here at all. Chris Greer has made some really positive moves. And he's been, um, you know, the GM of this team for a while through the shittiest of times and built this back up. They also have. Some other guys that are very in the front office that are very astute 
and very smart. Reggie McKenzie, former NFL linebacker, has spent a lot of time. He, Reggie McKenzie, uh, remember the Brett Favre era Green Bay Packers, right? He was with the Packers through their Super Bowl runs of the 90s and early 2000s. And it was with both the Packers for both their Super Bowl championships with Favre and with Aaron Rodgers. Um, and was their player personnel director. And Ron Wolf and some of these guys get all the credit, but Reggie McKenzie was in there and then he, he was with Oakland for six, seven years, even before that, before joining the Dolphins in 2019. Again, when you see from 2019 onward, that's sort of the fruits of this labor. You see a front office that has got their shit together. Uh, Adam Ingroff and Mark Winston and Chris Clements and Marvin Allen and Tom Garfinkel, even at the vice chairman CEO level of the entire organization. These guys are smart football people, good football people. Dan Marino is still an advisor. I don't know what he does really. But you got the front office just based on track record, not dumb, have made some really good and sharp moves. And when you're talking about Reggie McKenzie and Chris Greer, those are the guys that are recommending Brian Flores be fired. Well, you kind of have to go with it a little bit, don't you? I mean, it, you you have to assume that these guys are not going to fire somebody because he's a minority or something else. They saw something there. Okay. So I just want to establish that. Don't worry. We're getting into the more football stuff. Trust me. So who do they bring in? This is the big question. This was the biggest hire of any coach this off season because of Brian Flores was a good coach, regardless of whatever else everybody thinks good scheme, fiery guy, identifies well with players, has developed players mostly at the linebacker and edge rusher position from his time in New England, but he's always been, he's a track record. So who do they bring in? And there, there was a crapshoot. You look at some of the terrible head coaches that were brought in. Josh McDaniels has failed everywhere. He's been outside of New England. Doug Peterson, miserable failure. Super Bowl, but miserable failure. Lovey Smith, uh, placeholder. Nate Hackett, blah. Matt Eberflus, blah. Right? Kevin O'Connell, no reason he should have been hired. Brian DeBall's a hell of a good coach. And a guy who proved he built the Buffalo Bills. He was hired by the Giants. Okay. Solid move. That would have been a good candidate here. But the Dolphins went with Mike McDaniel. You wonder who the hell's Mike McDaniel? Well, right off the bat, and again, this is the last time I'm I'm going to say it, but another minority head coach. All right, uh, multiracial head coach officially for Mike McDaniel. So, okay, so again, it just it makes me feel a little bit more like this was a football move getting rid of Flores and that they needed something else. And when you start looking at it from that direction and specifically on the offensive side of the football, you realize the dolphins really did. They are in year three of Tua Tagliavoa. You are, you've got, you had a bunch of money this off season, um, but you have a defense who they've spent a shit ton of money on that is ready to win now. And has proven. So, so you have a, the, the window is shrinking here and it was time to make a move. 
So you bring in Mike McDaniel. Okay, great. What is McDaniel? Well, let's give a little history on Mike McDaniel. He's been the offensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers over the last, well, he was a run game coordinator technically for four years since Kyle Shanahan came over. All right. He sort of, he was the offensive coordinator, but Kyle Shanahan didn't give him the title much like Bill Belichick doesn't give the title for the last five years, uh, you know, through 2021, technically he got the title of offense coordinator last year, but he was a run game coordinator before that he was hands-on in the outside zone blocking scheme and outside zone run scheme in San Francisco. Folks, if you read my coaching breakdowns over at fantasyguru.com, you will see every franchise in the National Football League is trying to copy what the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan have done. Super Bowl appearance a couple of years ago. Remember, Super Bowl, great number one offense in 2016 with the Falcons. Gets hired by the 49ers, rebuilds that team, goes to Super Bowl in 2019. You know, the two years that Jimmy Garoppolo has been healthy in that offense, they made it to the Super Bowl, had held a fourth quarter lead in the Super Bowl, lost to crazy Pat Mahomes comeback. And then they were in the AFC NFC championship game with a lead against the LA Rams lost it last year, but still went. Up. So that's why they're the, the blueprint. It's why so many people are copying, not just the outside zone running scheme, the West coast uh, West coast offense that he runs. Now uh, they're going insti- to, they have instituted something very similar. It's just very similar offense to what they run in uh, San Francisco in Miami now. So that's a good play. If you're copying a system and a scheme, you need proven track record to work in this league and you need some kind of system scheme, if you will, that provides advantages. This does that further Mike McDaniel's career. I think if the Dolphins bring in Kyle Shanahan, everybody's ecstatic. Everybody believes in it. He's got name recognition. He's done it. Been the head coach, all this stuff. Well, McDaniel, Mike McDaniel's been, he was an assistant to Mike Shanahan back in Denver in the mid 2000s. And when Kyle Shanahan moved to Houston, he followed, he filed, followed Kyle Shanahan everywhere he's been. He went to Houston with him. He went to Washington with him. He went to Cleveland for that year in 2014 with Kyle Shanahan. He went to Atlanta. Yes, he, Mike McDaniels, the receivers coach for uh, that 2016 fantastic offense of Matt Ryan and Devonta Freeman and Julio Jones and uh, that offense in 2016. He was part of that. And then he followed to Kyle Shanahan to San Francisco. So this is one of those situations where back in the day, I'm old. I grew up, Bill Parcells, everyone thought Bill Parcells was the best, one of the best coach, if not the best coach in National Football League for years and years and years. It wasn't till later on, you start peeling back the onion a little bit and you realize, well, everywhere Bill Parcells went, that he had success at least, there was a guy named Bill Belichick behind him. Every place he went. And if you realize, if you are history buff or back in the late nineties, when Parcells was the head coach of the jets and Bill Parcells was, or Bill Belichick was about to be named head coach uh, or won an interview head coach Parcells quit 
he literally quit, moved to the front office and named Bill Belichick, the head coach. Belichick's like, I don't fuck you. I don't want to do this. You know, when my Cal Naughton Jr. or something, no, I don't want this. So uh, Belichick left and went to the Patriots, obviously, and the rest is history. That's how important Barcells knew he was. They didn't let McDaniel interview for jobs the last two years in San Francisco. And it got tumultuous to the point that he forced this interview. So McDaniel wanted to interview, but didn't want to interview it in many places. Wanted to interview in he there's two jobs he wanted Denver Broncos and then for whatever reason the Miami Dolphins and he didn't get the job lost to Nate Hackett there I don't I'm honestly not sure he inter- actually did interview there that's the one he wanted but that's the it's his hometown he's from Colorado he was a Broncos man growing up he was an assistant in the team la da la da yada 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 so McDaniel wanted that job didn't get it but also chose of all the other availabilities, including New York, including New Orleans before they you know, moved uh, Allen up. You know, he didn't want any of Minnesota, these other jobs that were available, Las Vegas wanted to, to uh, interview him. He wouldn't do it there. McDaniel wanted the Dolphins. Okay. That's a good sign. When a coach, a lot of teams want to interview a potential head coach. He's getting buzz around the league and, when he settles on a specific area or team, there's some, there's a reason behind that. Okay. And so Mike McDaniel, good hire, solid hire guy who's been around the league. He is in the most innovative of systems that there is. And he has been a play caller. He has been a run zone, a run game coordinator. He has worked with one of the masters of the league. If this was Sean McVay, you'd all have your dicks out by now. Like Cal Shanahan, you're probably only just got a chub inside your drawers or something. But the fact is, everyone wants a piece of Cal Shanahan, what he's been able to do in San Francisco. And this is the biggest piece you have. It realistically could be the brains behind the operation. Brains, you say, well, let's look into his history a little bit more, shall we? Um, Mike McDaniel, where did he go to? Was he a player? No, he's 5'9", 120 pounds. He's a tiny little man and doesn't, you know, nothing to the eye. But where did he go to school? Yale University. Graduated with a uh, degree in history from Yale University in um, 2004. He did play wide receiver actually at Yale. Come think, I didn't, I did not know that. I'm just looking at that. Uh, I looked at his uh, little uh, bio here. He went to Yale. He's an incredibly smart guy. Incredibly smart. All right. Very wise. Knows the playbook off the top of his head. Uh, you saw it at some of the interviews and the, the press conferences. Hopefully, you guys watch that. If not, go YouTube him. You see how sharp he is with the media. But there's another thing about Mike McDaniel. He's also very down to earth. He isn't a book nerd, or, or he is, but he's also very identifiable with the press, with players, with other coaches. And he's very down to earth. That's going to prove him very well in the locker room. He's not coming in there either as a former player and hard nose. I'm going to rile things up. He it's the antithesis to Brian Flores is really what it, and we saw doesn't really work. He's the brains. The, the players are athletically gifted and very good players. They need a scheme and a system on both sides of the football. And that's what Mike McDaniels produces. Let's go a little further with this. So McDaniels is the guy, very good hire. 
The other thing that's absolutely amazing. Okay. And the, there's a reason why I've been talking about Flores and the race thing and, and different elements of that. Okay. Because I know when it happened, how a lot of us thought this organization is just a fucking disaster. Well, what if I told you somehow Mike McDaniel was able to retain almost every single assistant coach on Brian Flores' staff? That needs your attention. Eric Studsville, he promoted him, gave him a raise, moved him to running back coach. John Embry, assistant head coach. He's tight end coach still from a year ago. Frank Smith, he moved to the offensive coordinator position, former offensive line. Frank Smith, very similar to McDaniel in that element. Frank Smith there because they need that running game to work. More on that later on. Matt Applebaum, offensive line coach here in, uh, in Miami. Now that's a good get guy that was behind the, the uh, Boston College offensive line and running game over the last couple of years as well, was uh, another player that, or a coach that was, uh, you look at some of the great zone blocking schemes of Davidson and Towson over the last years in college, getting apple bomb, but you didn't just get apple bomb. He was able to retain uh, the current offense or offensive line coach, Lamal John Pierre, former Seahawks, offensive lineman, Detroit Lion offensive lineman. He's been the offensive line coach. He was the assistant in 2020, offensive line coach in 2021 here in Miami. He decides he'll stay on and work with Applebaum as his assistant. What? That, that, crazy. Josh Boyer, the defensive coordinator. Another one. He was able to retain Josh Boyer on this staff as well. How the fuck do you do that? How do you take the... Brian Flores' main guy, Josh Boyer, who he brought over from New England and who is, I don't want to say BFFs, but good friends with Flores, and he stays? You get a lawsuit against the organization, the NFL, and all these assistants, including several minorities, stay? Something's right there, right? There's something magnetic. There's something Mike McDaniel promised races and gave him to several of these coordinators several of the assistant coaches. Also, you look at uh, one of the guys they were able to bring over and uh, Wes Welker left the 49ers to join the Miami Dolphins. Wes Welker, we know, former Patriot, and uh, it, you know was with Houston for a long time, was a special teams coach there, wide receivers coach, been there for you know, all the good seasons, joined in 2019 in San Francisco. He comes over, okay. They also go out and get Daryl Bevel. Now, Bevel is interesting because I've never liked Daryl Bevel. I think he's too vanilla. Vanilla play color. For those who don't know, Daryl Bevel was with the um, Packers back in the day. He was quarterback coach, then offensive coordinator, and he was essentially Brett Favre's BFF as the QB coach of Green Bay. Bevel went to Minnesota to be the offensive coordinator. And that's how Brett Favre went to Minnesota and why he went to Minnesota. 
he Brett Favre was ready to retire after the Jets fiasco. Bevel was able to talk him out of it, joined the, the Vikings, had a couple of good years there. Then Daryl Bevel moves on. He goes to Seattle. Al goes to a couple of Super Bowls. His offensive coordinator there developed Russell Wilson and the entire like as well. So he had a stop over in Detroit. He went to Jacksonville. Couple play caller is vanilla, but he's the passing game coordinator and a quarterbacks coach. And what I like about what they've done is they've retained a ton of the assistants. The Dolphins have a very vast coaching staff. They have safeties coaches, defensive assistant Patrick Sertain, remember former uh, Dolphin and NFL. defensive back and Ryan Slowick, who's been a defensive coordinator as a senior defense of assistant here in Sam Madison, who played corner, you know, Steve, uh, Steve Ferenc, the uh, son of Kirk Ferenc is working on this his staff. You've got a lot of real talented players and a bunch of them and very segmented. I believe this in my studies and research, having bigger coaching staff, is better. It allows people to stay in their lanes and do what's right. Now it backfired in Philadelphia a few years ago, uh, where the, and the analytics proved this out why the analytics department of Philadelphia, even after the super bowl of Doug Peterson, a couple of years later, they expanded and they had a similar coaching staff where you segmented down position, you know, position by position and separated corners and safeties and had uh, several assistants to assist the assistants and all that. And it didn't really work out, even though on the field product wasn't terrible, but Peterson had more of a problem just with the organization overall. That's what led to it. So it doesn't, it's not guaranteed to work, but I, I like this idea. And I think a smart guy like Mike McDaniel's the one to pull it off. I really do. So You've got a lot. It, it, the other thing that hold, hold, all, holding all of your ho 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 pa, 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 t, 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 today, Junior, holding on to all these assistants gives the players a lot of you, know, you go on a seven game lose or winning streak as a team, fighting through that. When they fire Brian Flores, the locker room is is down. It's downtrodden. It's mad. It's upset. What are you doing? That's our guy. We just went through war with him. We almost made the playoffs would have made the fucking playoffs, by the way, had they uh, um, not lost that game to the Raiders earlier in the season in overtime or fucking beat the Jacksonville Jaguars or the Atlanta Falcons still can't believe that. But, you know, they went through all this shit. They beat the Patriots twice. You know, a lot of good happened in Miami last year. And you would ruin all that momentum if you go and bring all new guys in. So they didn't, they bring a new lead guy and he recognizes, well, you know what? These guys really know what they're doing. Players like him. Players have been playing their asses off for him. Let's keep things. Let's adjust some of the things, the scheme. Let's adjust some of the play calling and let's build from what we did. That is the way to do it. Very few organizations do it. Very few, By by the way, Let's give Mike McDaniel some freaking credit with, I mean, nobody does that. You know, you, you have the amount, the confidence to keep the other guy's staff all in place. Acknowledge that the guy you're replacing was a pretty damn good coach. And they did some damn good things the last couple of years in Miami. 
and you're not going to get caught up in all the off the field controversy, but you're going to say from a football team standpoint, I'm going to keep everything as close as we can to all the good parts. And we're trying to build upon it. That's, that's fucking brilliant. And it's never done because our goddamn egos get in the, in the way at too much. So that's the coaching standpoint. It matters. Now, what about you're sitting there? I know you guys are chomping at the bit. What about Tua? Jeff, come on, Tua. You got nothing with Tua. Well, let's look at the on the field, shall we? Let's look at some of the additions that they've made on this. For one, defensively, let's acknowledge defensively, this is a very good unit. Uh, A unit that two bad games, the Jags and Falcons, there's no getting around it. 16th in points against dead middle, 15th in yards allowed, dead middle. 14th in rushing yards, 16th in passing yards, dead middle, right? This secondary, though, is very, very good. And Josh Boyer's done great stuff. Brian Flores has done great stuff from the defensive side of the football. You like how I'm making you wait for the offense, by the way? This is, I'm a professional at this, ladies and gentlemen. Professional. Jeff, I only care about the offense. I know what you care about, sons of bitches. But it's a complicated defense, and it's one that's very hard to understand and it's very hard for quarterbacks to figure out all right it's a it's a bunch of non it's not three four four three they are three three five four two five defensive setups up front or in the entire they want to play with five defensive backs only six men up notice when you say three four or four three that's seven players dolphins say fuck that now we're not doing that shit we want to play, they want to play five men in defensive backfield. They know it's a passing league. And they want that extra man patrolling. Okay. Good. But that takes some doing up front. All right. And it takes immense versatility amongst the linebackers because linebackers in this defense are going to have to rush the passer. They're going to have to blitz. They're going to have to stop the run. And they're going to have to be able to drop back into coverage. They're going to have to play high safety or high when you play cover three, play downfield, keep up with some of the speedier slot guys and or tight ends in the middle of the field. And they're going to, ha- or they're going to have to patrol underneath and fill, you know, be able to get to the edges for those tight end routes, tight end outs and crossing patterns and running backs in the flat things that they're going to have to do. They're going to have to line up with their hand in the dirt. Sometimes they're going to have to be upright versatile linebackers necessary, right? Jalen Phillips was very good. First round pick from was it last year, two years ago. He was very good in this defense. Very good. Landon Roberts from um, new England plays the inside Channing Tindall, who they drafted uh, third, second or third round out of Georgia of great bulldog defense from year ago. That was a good little pickup. A guy who's very talented fits this, Offense, very versatile linebacker, normally plays on the inside, but can play outside or even on the edge as well. Didn't get on the field a ton with the Bulldogs because, well, because the, uh, uh, how, well, best defense in the world. (laughs) And let's just face it. So um, this is a good defense that is very modern in their approach, very modern in their scheme, and one that is also very versatile. Can, that's why you see those numbers against the run, against the pass, right? That, that's why we saw it um, 
you know, last year, last two years, really. All right. Um, also on the defense side of things, they love to bring pressure. They love to blitz, they, and, but they blitz from all over the point. Uh, they're second in blitz rate each of the last two seasons, 10th most sacks in 2020, fifth most sacks in 2021. All right. They substitute heavy though. That's the thing about the defense. They will wear you out. They will wear the front four, front five of the offense out as well. They keep bringing in fresh bodies. That's not good for our IDP leagues. You see it so much heavy rotation, so much rotation, especially amongst that front, what we call six now. Okay. But they want fresh bodies. They want to spread it out. They don't want the defense. They don't want anybody being comfortable, but Josh Boyer and even Brian Flores, when he was here, they believe the more you mix up the faces and the players, it's different timing. It's different ways. You know, certain edge rushers, you know, Khalil Mack is going to do that spin move on you. Joey Bosa is going to do the up and under move. Some guy will do the hand, the slap of the side of the shoulder, you know, all these different moves. Well, you can't get used to that as a pass blocker or run blocker from an offensive line standpoint. If you're constantly rotating guys in, you're seeing different moves. I love it. I, I think that's the way modern defense needs to be. I really do. And I think staying fresh like that is, is absolutely brilliant. And then you get into the secondary, which is the, the real strength of Boyer and this defensive coaching staff. They develop corners and they love implementing zone coverages. They'll play man and zone, by the way. But here's what the Dolphins do that very few other defenses do. Although I 90% sure I talked about it in chasing the Chargers episode a year ago because Brandon Staley is one that did that younger defensive coordinators do this thing. Fuck it. Well, Belichick does it. And he's an old man. When you're designing zone coverages, I want you to look at like the way I wish I had a telestrator right here. Let's say you're defending a 20 yard span. Okay. Which is aggressive. You probably don't need that. But what they did, if you have five defensive backs and you're playing or secondary members and five defensive backs, you will say, okay, you got here from here to here, here to here. You get, you divided up into fifths and every player is responsible for their fifth. That's how it's been with zone coverage and the national football league and college football for years. And that's the way it's gone. You know, you are normally a four defensive back. So you play it into quarters but they have five back here, whatever it is, you equally divide it up. What modern day analytics have shown us is that there, every defensive back doesn't cover the same amount of area. They don't have the same range. And you start seeing when the ball's thrown to this guy's left, this guy's right over his head. A couple of years ago, you know, my cornerback metrics and our smash report over at fantasyguru.com has this. If you've read the cash game breakdown, over the years, I talk about my offensive line data. Blocking area is very important. My and my it used to be my cornerback matchups. Now it's my coverage matchups because I think that whole wide receiver corner thing doesn't exist anymore. It's more coverage because everybody plays. Most teams play zone or a form of zone. But you know, Malcolm Butler, who is now a member of the Patriots, by the way, his career is almost over because even I know you just throw over a set. He can't cover when his back is turned to football, he, he is a 
very good when everything's in front. Think of Malcolm Butler's biggest interceptions, biggest plays. Everyone has been in front of him. When you turn him around and you get past him in coverage, he's fucked. He's done. All right. Every corner has shortcomings like that. And it used to just take smart quarterbacks and coaches to identify those things and attack them. Now we have software. Now we've got analytics. This guy can cover this one. But smart defensive coordinators like Josh Boyer, like uh, 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 the um, – good Lord, who is it? Uh, Sam Madison and Steve Gregory, the cornerbacks – uh, a cornerback coach, safety coach for the Dolphins. What these guys do, they spend time in the software. No, no, no. They carve it up into some corners and safeties can have wide, wider zones. They can cover a lot more area than other ones. So they chop it up. And every one of those defensive back knows exactly what they're. So when they've dropped back into their coverage, everyone's dropping back into much sharper coverage areas makes it that much harder to throw against. You're keeping an extra body back there and you're carving up the zones in non-conforming ways that one, quarterbacks aren't used to it. Wide receivers aren't used to it. Many receivers aren't used to it. And you're playing to the best skills and range of your defensive backs. When you talk, isn't it funny that it ta- it's taken a 20 20- 22 to realize that range like a shooter in basketball or, you know, what your range is golf and baseball and all these sports. We talk about your range a field goal range with kickers and football passing range. We know this with passers, but we didn't do it on the defensive side. It's smart, very smart. And let's go. So very sharp zones, very smart coverages and what they do is they like to take away as many receiving options as possible. And they'll scheme to do it every week. That's a Bill Belichick technique. All right. That's what Boyer Flores have been doing. But what they want to do is they take their super talented corners, which they've got two of the best and Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, two of the absolute best. Igbanyani, their first rounder from a couple of years ago, uh, his, I'm still a fan of his. He has not done well. Um, taking a lot of time to adjust to the scheme. So playing a backup role, Nick Needham, I don't like him, but he's kind of the guy who plays on the inside as well. But you got two lockdown corners that you can, they can play their sides of the football or they could play an opponent on every down, right? And what they will do in Miami is let those guys play man coverage while you have three others Chopping up the zone. Again, this could be the safety dropping back a guy like uh, uh, Jerome Baker or, um, you know, Tim Dahl, who's a good coverage guy as well. And you have safeties doing it. You could throw in your extra corner and need them. Like I said, it's not corners. It's not one-on-one matchups anymore in the National Football League. But they design and chop these up very, very wisely. They will play man on one side. They'll put Xavier Howard on a shutdown or a, a premier wide receiver if they if you're playing a team with one stud wide receiver and the rest are just podunk they'll put Xavier Howard over the top you play four man zone the rest of the field and then they'll swap out it they're very confusing and very difficult and that is staying that's why the numbers have been good for the dolphins 
Okay. So that's good. Everything on the defense side of the football is in good place. Now let's look at the offense. Oh, we got there, baby. Took me 40 minutes or whatever this is. But I got there. All right, man. Enough of this bullshit. Stop teasing our cocks. Let's, wh- what are we really doing? Okay. Where do I start? I want to start with the outside zone run-in scheme because it's the quintessential. It's the best scheme in football right now for running the ball. It doesn't fit everybody, though. Okay? So it's you got to be careful. Very specific runners. It's one, it's what they call a one cut system. All right. And so I, I should expand on. Okay. Let me, let me actually, let me back up because I, I kind of misspoke in a way. The outside zone system is what Kyle Shanahan has run and it's been very effective. And it's why you, you see Elijah Mitchell come out of nowhere to post great numbers, all this. Miami isn't going to run a, an outside zone. They're going to that next level. The next generation of outside zone is something they call a wide zone. Wide zone run. So this is, you know, this is really next level stuff. I could be in a room of coaches and we could be talking about wide zone running. But what you notice here. In a wide zone, it's similar to the outside that both blocking techniques are parallel line of scrimmage. They allow the running back with multiple cutback lanes to run through. All right. Outside zone will aim for the back to hit the outside edge of the tackles. All right. That's the outside zone. That's what's been so great in Denver for years and everywhere Kyle Shanahan has been as well. The one wrinkle here is the wide zone has a cutting cutback lane, if you will, into the middle of the defense. You spread it out a little bit wider. Now, when you do zone running, you're all going in one direction and you're leaving one of the edges alone. That running back, that defensive player, edge rusher, linebacker, outside defense end, whatever, that guy, essentially, the running back is responsible for that guy. He goes unblocked. You're putting five bodies on four players, okay? And the running back has one guy to beat right at the line. And it he needs to take the right lane. And once he does, he's got numbers in front of him, Vince Lombardi style. That's why you get so many big runs with this, st- this style. In wide zone, you don't need to be nearly as quick. You don't need to be fast in, in outside zone either. But you do need to get to the edge right along the edge. You don't need to bust it outside like a sweep or a toss, but you need to be able to get up. So you need some lateral quickness. And this, you don't even need that. So that's going to be the backbone of this offense. And again, one of the biggest shortcomings in Miami last year was the run game. 18th in attempts, great. That's fine. 30th in yards, 1,568 total yards. That's all. 12 rushing touchdowns, 24th in the league. Second worst, 3.5 yards per attempt. Terrible. Terrible with that. So, you know, and they have one other wrinkle here too. And uh, and I, I love this element to what they're doing in the wide zone and what we saw out of OTAs and in, in mini camps here. <coughs> mm, sorry. 
what I love about it is they're going to use a fullback too. We're not going to see a lot of 11 personnel out of this offense. We're just not there. You're going to see some two run, a lot of two running back setups in Miami. They're going to use the fullback. I just told you about leaving that edge open. They're going to put a body on that edge. They're going to put a body on that edge. Teams that are playing with a lot of defensive backs, you're going to get a lot of weak tacklers. And now you're going to bring – and the, the guy they brought in, Alec Ingold, is one of the best fullbacks in the league. Now, he got hurt last year with the Raiders. Missed most of the season, but he's healthy and should be – he's one of the best blockers. He could catch the ball in the backfield and um, is a huge, huge all-pro at the position. Fullback. So they're going to run him. They're going to use him. Kyle Juszczyk in San Francisco. 49ers fans know what I'm talking about. You got Alec Ingold to fill that role now. Okay. So what about now you're talking offensive line? Let's talk about the offensive line because this was not a good offensive line a year ago. They went out, got Teron Armstead, one of the best left tackles from the New Orleans Saints the last few years. One of the, I had him great as the number one free agent in the entire NFL going into this, this uh, off season. All right. Austin Jackson played very well first rounder from a couple of years ago. He is moving to the right side where Armstead will be their left tackle. They're moving their right tackle. Eichenberg second round pick from a year ago, guy who was fantastic at Notre Dame. And I thought I had a first round grade on him. Great pick last year did well. They're moving him to guard. He's going to play next to Armstead. That left side of the line is fucking fantastic. They're not done. They went and got Connor Williams from the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys offensive line, folks, if you haven't noticed, took a huge hit there as well. He's going to play center, if you can believe that, for this offense. Now, he has a lot of experience at tackle. He was a left tackle in college, played guard mostly at Dallas. He's going to play center for this Dolphin team. You get guys like Michael Dieter, who's played center before and now could swing. Robert Hunt, who's going to start at right guard, a second rounder, from 2020, this is a fucking talented offensive line. They have gone from being one of the worst offensive lines in the game to easily one of the best. And when you grade it out just on last year's metrics alone, you know, in, uh, in, in pass blocking, the Miami Dolphins went from 32nd dead last, just with the bodies that they put in there, from 32nd to 12th. Just in basic setup, okay? It run blocking, which, by the way, Miami was a little bit better, 30th last year in the National Football League per uh, pro football focus. They go from 30th to 8th best, from 30th, third worst, to 8th best in the NFL last year. Just with the – and by the way, it doesn't work like that. It's not fucking Madden where you're just, oh, those guys are 88 overall. Oh, no, no, no. When you get guys like Armstead, Austin Jackson, Connor Williams, add this to it. They all play off of each other and the unit gets better. This might be the number one offense line in the game on top of an improved scheme on top of you get Alec Ingold, uh, another blocker that you're going to play another scheme wise that you're going to see. Holy shit. Holy shit. 
Now what do we do? Now you add some people. Miles Gaskin is still here, and he might not make the team. They add Chase Edmonds, sign him to a, a contract. He is a super fast breakaway type runner, uh, excelled in zone blocking it, while with Arizona the last couple of years, a great pass catcher out of the backfield. They add Sony Michelle, who and I didn't even realize this until I was researching for the Dolphins, is that Sony Michelle was the fifth best running back in zone runs a year ago. Fifth best in the entire National Football League in zone runs. Ran a shit ton of them. And actually, he uh, seventh in yards per carry at 4.7. Right? I mean, that's, that's damn good. Sony Michelle. And again, degenerative knee. They're going to rotate this up. Then they bring in Raheem Mostert. He's over the hill. He's coming off an injury, but barely played last year. He's often hurt, but he knows the scheme and was uh, fantastic in San Francisco with it. And you get Miles Gaskin and Salvin Ahmed, two good, decent running backs. You got loaded running backs, and they're going to let them go just fight it out. Strongest will survive. Bringing in that kind of talent. That run game is improved insurmountably, just incredibly. And it's going to be the backbone of the offense. What about the passing offense? I know you all want to know that. Tua Tagliavoa, what do we do with Tua? Well, the good news is wide zone running game, West Coast offense. West Coast offense, what that means by today's standards, this, it, this entire playbook is full. It's going to be heavy RPO. So now here's another thing. You're getting the improved offensive line. You have a rushing threat at quarterback in Tua, and you're going to install different backs and RPOs. All it takes is a couple. He Tua was great at RPO uh, at Alabama, and has done well in the past with it here. Well, uh, last two years here in uh, in Miami as well. So you get that. You freeze linebackers. You freeze safeties. You force them to play you straight up. It helps the run game. It helps the passing game. All right. The biggest criticism for Tua, and I've had it since he come out. Remember, I've never been a Tua fan in my life. Never. I, I thought he was overrated. I thought they should have stuck with Jalen Hurts at Alabama. On record, said it. Tua's been great. It was great at Alabama. Has not been good in Miami. He has no arm strength. That won't change. His arm is garbage. The good news here is you don't need that. You don't need a big arm strength. By the way, Tua ran the third most RPOs last year, and he only played 12 games. Most RPOs per game, all right? And I believe, yeah, the most passing yards of any quarterback in the National Football League, any quarterback, more than Jalen Hurts or Josh Allen, who did fucking copious amounts of RPOs, he, Tua had most, more than, more than Mahomes, Kyler Murray, all your boys. He threw for the most. Didn't know that, did you? Nah, I know you didn't know. So, but the West Coast offense, they're not going to go downfield. West Coast will have some, they'll send somebody downfield to keep defenses honest, to see if they can get coverages that they like. But that's not what this is going to be. This is going to be a ton of slants, crossing routes, tight end drag routes, and flat routes. Tons frustrating 
fr- it's gonna it's Bill Walsh's offense before Jerry Rice got there in 1986. It's gonna be just a bunch of just guy getting the ball out to the receivers and the backs and the tight end in stride with them picking up yards after the catch. Tyreek Hill is the Debo Samuel here. They're going to pump it to Tyreek. Pump it and pump it. Out of the backfield, probably not as much, but he Tyreek will play out of the backfield here as well. Don't forget, you guys, the Brandon Ayuk, the breakout two years ago, Debo Samuel's amazing season last year, and you're still going to doubt Mike McDaniel is at the center of that? I wouldn't. The RPOs are going to the lateral blocking scheme with the RPOs is going to with the multiple weak side slant routes constantly peppering with Tyreek and, and uh, Jalen Waddle, baby, that, that's exactly what you want to run. I don't know how you defend it. Great chemistry already with Jalen Waddle last year. You got short, quick timing patterns. That's exactly what Tua does right. It's exactly what he does well. We mentioned that the RPOs work. He is a running threat. You know, is Tua's not a great quarterback and deficiencies, of course, but he can run. He's not quite what he was at Alabama, but he ran for three touchdowns each of those first two years in the league, 128 yards rushing last year in 12 games. I'd expect that number to go up slightly. All right. And the other element here is the tight end drag route, which is what made George Kittle a stud at San Francisco. Remember, Kittle wasn't anything. He's a fifth-round pick out of Iowa. He was made by Kyle Shanahan's system. Now he's one of the highest-paid tight ends in the league. Tight end drag routes, what what they do here. So if you could imagine this offense, I wish I could draw this for you. You're going to have, for the purposes, let's say the offensive line's blocking left. You got one edge rusher coming at the right. You got a fullback coming out to nail him. Or let's say they're not going to do fullback. Let's say it's a passing down. So you got weak side, which for two, it's the right side. Normally it's the left, but for two, it's the right side. You got two guys, Waddle and Tyreek, running quick slants over the middle. You've got them moving perpendicular or parallel to the line of scrimmage right there. You got a running back staying in to see what that edge rusher does, squirting out into the flat to the right side, while Tyreek and Waddle go to the left. And then there's one other guy. There's Mike Gusecki, right? For the purposes of this, let's say Tua's going to stay and go left. He's going to go. He's going to roll out with his, to the, uh, to the strong side, uh, the left side in this case, of his offensive line. So what happens, Mike Gusecki, so as you've got these guys coming off, the, div- the safeties in zone coverage have to pick these guys up at some point. Otherwise, boom, pepper it right. Let Tyreek or Waddle run after the catch all fucking day. Now you got Gasecki. All Gasecki's job is is to mirror what his quarterback is doing. Run with this quarterback. Drag just a couple yards out. Doesn't it's it's literally a two yard route. Just drag along. Wait for as the longer the play takes. If Tua doesn't like anything on those quick slants or to dump it off in the flat because the edge came in you know, and the running back has a lane, then all he's doing, he's the fallback option, Mike Gusecki. Just fallback option for Tua to run with. And and as Tua doesn't like, there's one guy on the left side that went deep, draws one safety or cornerback. Okay, maybe Tua likes that. He fires off there. If not, he dumps it off to the tight end. And the tight end is running with Tua. So he's going to that left side, 
where everybody else is occupied with Waddle and Tyreek Hill and the running back who popped off on the side. And so now you've got a ton of yards after the catch. Think of how many times you saw George Kittle just run all day. And, and these are two, three yard routes that just pick up yard, lot yards after contact. It's a brilliant offense and they've got the pieces here to do it. They've got protection, good blocking, a good, a much improved run game. Whoever emerges from that, all three of them likely to get time. And you've got Waddle and Tyree kill two absolute studs in yards after the catch. Oh, by the way, there's more, there's more. They also went out and got Cedric Wilson from the Dallas Cowboys. Wilson, who's a shit. Who's a shit about Russell Wilson. Well, Russell or Cedric Wilson. I mean, (laughs) he's a flyer. He's the guy that will be that deep threat. He will be the one, especially when they run 11 personnel, three wide receivers. He'll be the guy drawing that coverage out. He's the deep route guy. They also brought in Trent Sherfield, who was with San Francisco last year, who, by the way, was Trey Lance's favorite receiver in the preseason. And the one time he got the start against Arizona. Sherfield's here in Miami. He's another speedster deep threat. They get uh, Uzakama from Texas Tech, the wide receiver, big guy who could fly down the field. So now you've got speed all over. Wilson, Hill, Waddle, Sherfield, Zuma. Holy shit. You've, and Preston Williams is damn good. Ted Schuster's favorite guy with Chase Edmonds and Gasecki at the tight end. You've got significant speed on this offense. You don't need to throw deep now. You don't need to have a big arm. This is the right system for Tua. This is the right patterns for these wide receivers. This is a damn good offense. All right. So there you go. Now let's, let's break it down. All right, Jeff, that I think, you know, I've explained the scheme. Well, let's take a look at who they play. Well, for one AFC East, all right. It's an improved division. There's no doubt about it. Although I'm telling you, I don't know how new England's going to win games. I'm not a believer. They didn't improve nearly as much personnel wise this off season. Belichick's a brilliant mind, but He's the only guy. They do not have an offense coordinator. They do not have a defense coordinator. They do not have a quarterback coach. They do not have a wide receiver coach. They do not have an offensive line coach. They don't have any assistance in New England. You can be brilliant, but you can't run a football team by yourself. New England regresses this year. I guarantee it. The Jets are going to be better, but they're not close to what the Dolphins are throwing out there this year. You've only got the Bills, and the Bills are formidable. I do not anticipate Miami overtaking the Bills. I don't. Go through their schedule week one against New England. Well, listen, they beat New England twice last year. At home, week one, they're going to beat them again. That's a win. But now here's something. Just like I told you with the Chargers last year, you're going to have to stay with me. They got Baltimore, Buffalo, Cincinnati next three weeks. Miami's going to lose all three of those. They're going to be one and four, and you're going to say, oh, shit, here we go again. All right? I think that they could beat the Ravens, and I think they could beat the Bengals. I don't think those are blowout games, definite losses, but I'm going to give them losses for the benefit of the doubt because I do think it'll take a little bit of time for the offense to wear itself out. But then you've got the delicious middle of the season, some of the worst teams. The Jets, it's a win. The Vikings, it's a win. The Steelers, week seven, it's a win. Steelers regressing. Detroit, the next week. At Detroit, Detroit's getting better, though. 
That'll be a f- more fun game than we think. Week eight, that's a win. Chicago, terrible team. Week nine, that's a win. All of a sudden, we got a six-game winning streak heading into the bye week. Or no, uh, the, the following week is against the Cleveland Browns. What happens with Deshaun Watson? Uh, this is a game that could easily go either way. That's a win. Then you go into the bye week. Come out of the bye, you got Houston. That's a win. Then they go to San Francisco. Teacher versus student. The 49ers going to try to throw, throw Trey Lance out there. That's a win for the Dolphins. It's not an easy one. It's going to be a hard game. But that's a win. The Chargers, week 14, that's a loss. Buffalo again, I'll give them a loss, especially at Buffalo. It's going to be lost. The Packers at home, not – I don't rule that one out for Miami. That's a, that's a game they can win, but I gave them a loss on that. Then they finish up against the Patriots in Foxborough, which, by the way, I – they beat them last year. Beat them earlier in the season this year. I have that as a loss as well, and then a win against the Jets in the last week. Ten and seven record. But the run game from a fantasy football, number one, that's over their total. Team total sitting at nine right now. Love that. You can even get eight and a half if you wait a little bit. Um, So this is well over that. It's an over bet. You are looking at the uh, average draft position for these guys as well. Nobody's Tua's going QB 16 off the board right now. The running backs, I just talked about the wide zone scheme and how much better it's going to be improved behind a huge offensive line. And Miami's uh, Chase Edmonds is the only Miami Dolphin running back that is be drafted anywhere. 97 overall. That's the first pick of the ninth round. You get starting running back in the ninth round. Want to take a chance on Sonny Michelle. It's 190 ADP. That's going to put you in the 16th round, basically free in your drafts. Tyree kills going into the late second round. Jalen Waddle. I, I think it'll be Hill over Waddle, by the way. That's another thing. Waddle and Hill are both. At, when you look at the wide receiver position, fantasy drafters are taking both of these guys in the top 14. Yet you have Tua Tagliavoa, the quarterback, the guy is going to stir this entire drink. He's actually being drafted QB 17 right now. That's horseshit. That's a horseshit. That's how you know you got built in value with the QB. I think Waddle doesn't perform that high unless there's an injury with Tyreek. But the value is there. And then Mike Gusecki, everybody's out and down on Gusecki. Mike Gusecki going tight end 14 behind Irv Smith, who didn't play in Cole fucking Komet. Fryermuth and Knox, get the fuck out of here. He was went to a, one of the friendliest tight end systems in National Football League. People are not paying attention. So there's value all over. Are they going to win the Super Bowl? No. I think the AFC is too tough. I think their division is too tough. But playing Buffalo twice a year should be very interesting games. And this team is well improved. They've got a good man in charge. Great set of assistant coaches that we've seen. Good scouting department that has gone out and been aggressive in making moves like the Tyree Kill trade as well. They've got a young quarterback taking a next step in a system that fits him very, very well with improved blocking, improved run games, massive wide receiver talent. 
and a tremendously innovative defensive scheme. Ladies and gentlemen, that is why I'm digging the Dolphins. Let's go Miami, baby. And from a fantasy standpoint, you don't have to worry about the weather very much. Play like two possible cold weather games all freaking year long. And that's that New England game and the Buffalo game in December and then the New England game in Foxborough on January 1. Otherwise, it's Miami and then L.A. for the Chargers, San Francisco for the 49ers, the whole damn season. So passing game will work with the weather out there as well. We're digging the Dolphins in 2022. That's going to do it for this episode of One Man's Opinion. Thank you for hanging in there with me. Did you like the teases? Did you fast forward? Are you listening to me on two times speed? You savages, all of you out there. Remember, this podcast is given to you, presented to you by underdogfantasy.com. Want to come draft against me and get your chance to win $2 million in the Best Ball Mania 3 tournament. Get over there, underdogfantasy.com. And don't you dare forget to use that promo code ELITE, E-L-I-T-E. It's the only way that you could double your deposit, get a bonus. I suggest deposit 100 bucks, get that $200. It's all the money you'll need for plenty of Best Ball Mania 3 at Puppy Bowl drafts all season long. And you get to also see when I'm drafting, where I'm drafting, who I'm drafting. It's all given there. You can follow exactly what I do. Make sure I'm a man of my word and that I indeed am digging the Dolphins this year. Only way to get it, underdogfantasy.com, promo code ELITE. Fantasyguru.com, the 2022 Fantasy Football Draft Guide is there. Elite data included. Fantasy Football Training Camp ticket included in the all-in package. It is $99. A little more expensive this year, but the Training Camp and the Elite Mafia Fantasy Football Championship League, the data, the Elite Sports, Elite Plus podcast and live stream, the off-season package with all of our NFL draft and all of our free agency, all of our CFL content that's going on right now, our USFL content. It's all included exclusively in the all-in package, fantasyguru.com. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Mans, the Jeff Mans Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and, of course, my favorite TikTok, the Jeff Mans on TikTok, brand-new show there. Also at Jeff underscore Mans, fantasy football talk at the car, get coffee every weekday morning. Uh, check that out on my Twitter feed. Also at SiriusXM Fantasy, 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Elite Sports. That'll do it for episode 117. Are you with me? Are you digging the Dolphins? Let me know at Jeff underscore Mans. That'll do it here, folks. You may agree or disagree with some or all that you heard on today's program, and it's perfectly all right. Why? You know why. Because it's one man's opinion. We'll see you next time, everybody. Deuces!